Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the HIV Podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. What a way to start a podcast. You just froze. Did I? Actually, I didn't. I was pretending. <laughs> Have you ever done that in a meeting? No, but I'd love to. I might do it during this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the HIV podcast. Thank you. Well, I mean, you're not actually welcoming me, are you? You're welcoming everyone that listens. I am welcoming everyone else, but you can include yourself that, in that if you want. By yeah. actually talking about virtual meetings, I have a good story about this. Well, I don't know if good's the right idea. I looked foolish, so you might think it's good. We were in a sexual health meeting and obviously it was just sort of right in the thick of covid when everything had to be online so it's jam-packed it's a i think they were quarterly before anyway so everyone from across the borough is there you know um and we're all chatting (laughs) at the time we were just really using zoom we weren't using teams so um the person at the end of the meeting said right well if everyone agrees with that um just put your hands up and i wasn't aware that there was that function on it that is you putting your hand up like so I put my physical hand up in this meeting with my camera on oh my god I was the only person it was so embarrassing and then I saw oh, it was awful oh no yeah if anyone else has done that please let me know because I swear I can't be the only person that when someone goes put your hand up and I did think this is a bit odd isn't it but maybe it's the quickest way just to see who agrees and then yeah I realized oh, no online meetings are the worst you know what's worst is when everybody turns their camera off but no one's told you that that's the etiquette for the meeting (laughs) and you're left like oh it's it's too long now I'm gonna have to leave mine on like a wally just sat again Mm -hmm. yep you know everyone else isn't listening they're busy working eating their lunch and there's me sat there yeah 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 okay I think some people don't just don't get that um during lockdown 
a friend of mine, she was having a christening and obviously nobody could go. So it was a small family event and it was abroad. We were, we were hoping to go anyway. Um, so they broadcast it live and invited everyone to come and watch. It was a really nice way to do it. You know, you get to watch in the, your own home. Anyway, just like you, turn the camera. Well, not just like you, clearly the opposite of you. So turn the camera off because there's lots of other people. But there was one girl who I think had thought she had turned her camera off and halfway through, she just got up and started sorting her wardrobe out and her clothes. So we ended up just watching her, just like, does she know that we could all see her? Oh, no. Participating. Oh, it's embarrassing, right? Oh, let's not go back to those days. No. (laughs) Anyway, HIV. Yes. 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 Oh, right. We are, we're going back to the 80s. Of course we are. Okay. Well, we were a little bit 80s last week, weren't we, with old AIDS campaign? And then we had Freddie the week before. So we're going back. This, this I swear, this is going to be one of my favourite episodes. I'm putting it out there now. I know. Right. You better make this good. That's a lot of pressure on you. One of my favourite episodes for me, you probably won't find it interesting at all. But I'm I'm indulging myself. That's what I'm doing because we're not just looking at HIV history. We're looking at 80s history as well. Okay. This is what happens when you're not here to guide me. I just go off on like, right, we're going to go full on 80s now. We're going to really look at what happened. But we are looking at someone who was a true activist. And do you know what? Actually, one of the reasons for featuring him now is, you know, the world's just not a very nice place, is it? Yeah. Day by day, it seems to get worse. Everyone's facing tough times. And I think, you know, if we took a leaf out of his book, the world would be a nicer kind of place without a doubt okay. let's, see. let's see if we're inspired by him well you certainly are you're like this will be my favorite episode ever you might not be but let's see so this week we are looking at mark ashton you know who he is Should I do? i'm going to be really honest with you i only know who he is because you have talked about him quite a bit yeah i am a bit obsessed yeah. okay fair enough well i shall explain why you can see if my obsession is justified so he was he was a very, very compassionate man. So, you know, there are lots of LGBT activists and there was certainly a lot in, in the 80s. My goodness, they had a lot to kind of raise awareness about, didn't they? But we're featuring him because he not only spoke up for the LGBT community because he could see his community was being destroyed by HIV and he could see how inactive the government were being, but he could also see similarities with how other communities were being treated at the time by the government, being persecuted for standing up for their rights, being treated as second-class citizens and being mistreated by the police. And he knew this wasn't right. And he knew that the LGBT community had experienced the same sort of thing for many years. And that because they'd experienced this, they could lend their support to other groups of people who hadn't experienced this before. So not just looking at your own causes are literally affecting you and your community, branch out and say, actually, we can go and help them. Yeah, because he knew it was wrong. And he knew they had the experience to be able to offer support, solidarity, and to make them feel less alienated. So the community we're talking about, the community that caught his attention, mining community. And you might think, well, you know, what's the big deal in that? It's just one community helping another. Oh, but they were decimated weren't they I mean my goodness yeah I had no idea that he would be linked to them he was so what we're going to do we're going to look we are going to look back in history we're going to remind ourselves what it was like to be gay in the 80s and what it was like to be a minor in the 80s 
Okay, so get ready. We're going full on back. I should have made you wear leg warmers and pixie boots. Oh, why didn't I? You should have told me. I would have, I would have, if you'd have let me know earlier, I'd have come 80s. Oh, we should do that one week. Maybe nearer Christmas. (gasps) Yes. Right, I love this. Actually, do you know what? Speaking of, right, you have to wait one second because I'm going to show you this is relevant. Speaking of dressing up, and it is a bit 80s, okay? How is that 80s? It's like Banana Man. We're having, a, we're having a Halloween drop-in. And you're going as a banana. Right, everyone keeps saying that. Now, why am I under the illusion you don't have to be scary? It's just about it's just about um, dressing up, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, most people would go as what, ghosts and zombies, not a piece of fruit, but <laughs> so, oh, maybe people. if you were a banana on the turn, you know, they, I mean, there's quite a short <laughs> window, isn't there, for bananas before they go all squishy. That's <laughs> scary. That is true. Or some people just find fruit terrifying. Do they? Some people do. Some people hate fruit. Yeah. So, well, you know, I thought that'd have a better reaction than it did. But there's my banana outfit. The thing is, I don't remember many people dressing up as bananas in the 80s, if if I'm honest. I feel like you're wrong. I feel like bananas were a big 80s thing. Banana armour was a big 80s thing. Those, um, Those inflatable bananas. Yes. Okay. Shall we move on? Okay, yeah. So I don't know why I brought that up, but there we go. Fabulous. Right. Right. Okay. So in the 80s, lots of people stigmatized for being gay. When I was at school in the 80s, one of the biggest insults you could say to someone is, oh, you're so gay. That was just like a big mm. kind of thing. So if you if you were gay and you lived in a city, um, you know, like London, Manchester, it was probably it was a bit more acceptable. There's gay pubs, there's gay clubs. Um, but it's still difficult to truly be yourself, you know, in the workplace, for example. Some people are very open about their sexuality. So think Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Boy George, but lots of people very openly expressing their kind of distaste and saying it's not normal, it's not acceptable, we need to protect our children. You know, they're kind of following the kind of government kind of party line at the at the time, because the government's all about family values and everybody kind of conforming, I suppose. And let's not forget, they're putting through that legislation. Oh, can't speak. <laughs> they were pushing through legislation to ban any mention of same-sex relationships in sex education classes. That was terrible. Like you're saying, there were people like Holly Johnson or Boy George who were very open and out, but actually they also got absolutely vilified, like you were saying. Songs mm. banned, you know. I mean, Relax was banned, wasn't it? It Yes, it was. Mm. Yeah, by Radio 1 just because they felt it was kind of overtly sexual. That's quite shocking now when you look at Radio 1 and sort of who they want to be and how they are and sort of what they want to portray. I find that quite an alien concept, weirdly. Sort of growing up, Radio 1 have been quite liberal in a lot of respects. So it feels Mm. odd that they would take this stance. I mean, it's a song, for goodness sake. I know, but if you look at other 80s pop stars, heterosexual pop stars, some of them were very sexual. I mean, look at Madonna in the 80s. She was quite sexual. Yeah. And yet apparently that's all fine. Singing like a virgin and kind of, I was going to say shimmying around on a gondola. Shimmying. That's a word from the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) That's all fine. Writhing. 
but you know that that that's well within Radio One's remit. They were they were perfectly happy with that. Yeah, and yet Frankie goes to Hollywood. No, not so much. So I mean, that's what people were up against. And although I think the cities were more accepting, I, the rest of the UK most definitely was not. If you were gay and you were growing up in a rural town or village. <laughs> You know, you had a choice quite early on, didn't you? You can either quite literally be the only gay in the village or you can move so that you can be more open about your sexuality and be yourself, basically, and then not tell anyone back home. I know which one I'd have done. Oh, me too. Apart from anything else, if you're one of very few gay people where you live... How do you meet other people? You're pretty limited for sex, aren't you? There's no grinder. I think also you sort of discover who you are through meeting other people, especially when you're younger, don't you? So you're Mm. not having those experiences because you're not necessarily feeling you're able to be yourself. God, that must have felt so oppressive. Yeah, absolutely. They just didn't have a choice. They had to move to kind of meet like-minded people. Madness now, isn't it, to think that that's what used to happen. And then I think if you add HIV into the mix, the LGBT community stigmatised for daring to be gay. And now HIV kind of adds fuel to the fire for all those people who are saying, oh, being gay is unnatural. Because they're like, look, gay sex kills you. Oh, it's awful. Absolutely awful times. You know, people that were gay were so vilified. Then, you know, we went through a whole spate of, you know, people that were bisexual as well. There were lots of people saying, oh, it's greedy and all of these awful things. And now I feel like we hear these comments around pronouns. It's nobody's business, Mm. but that person's. And there's sort of this faction of people that are like, well, no, I I think it's my business and I'm going to attack you for it. Like, that's what I find madness. But it's, yeah. it's it's just always happening. I wonder what the next thing will be because there's always something that is a bit different that everyone's like, right, I'm going to, you know, hate these people for this. I know. So look, growing up gay in the 80s, horrible time. I know I go on about how I love the 80s, but for gay people, it was the worst. So they're contending with all of that. And do you know what the worst thing is? I was at school in the 80s. I didn't really know that any of this was going on. You know, you're quite kind of cosseted. If I'd known, I think I would have been like, no. I was going to say, what would you have done? My mum asked me this the other week. She said, what would you have done if you'd have known? And I was just like, um, I'd have joined them and supported them on their marches. I love it. <laughs> just like, really? <laughs> I don't know. It's Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? And I was quite young, but... Oh, no, but I was just saying you could make up anything. You could say I would have been head of the movement. That's what you should go with, something very dramatic. I should have done, shouldn't I? I should have been like, don't know. Stormed parliament. Yes. Okay, so... That's what it was like to be gay in the 80s. Now, the miners' strike. Now, I do know about this because I remember it growing up. My dad's from the northeast, strong mining community. So this did have an impact on me. We're going to learn a little bit about what the miners' strike was. I think that's really Unless important. Unless you already know. No, I, no, I was going to say I think it's really important to do this because we know we have listeners from all around the world. Oh, they might have no idea why the miners' strike was such a huge thing. Yes. Okay, so... Coal mining industry in the UK, huge years ago, but going into decline. And it's very heavily unionised. I don't know if other countries around the world have unions like we do. Organisations set up to kind of um, promote workers' rights and get people better kind of working deals, really. Good rates of pay, not too long hours, those kind of things. And the government at the time... They weren't that keen on unions because they had their own agenda to push through. So the unions and the government always kind of clashed, I would say. The mining community was in decline and it was being subsidised by the government. 
And there were lots of reasons for that. So the best coal seams hadn't been, well, had, had been exhausted, to be honest. So they're having to dig deeper to get coal. It's costing more money. They're having to use machinery, which means they need less workforce. So you can see what's happening. Mm. Eventually, we're not going to have a, a coal mining industry anymore. But the unions had worked with the government to make sure that as people remained redundant, jobs were found for them elsewhere and that the kind of uh, decline was managed so that people weren't just, you know, it wasn't just cut off. Okay. To make sure people get good redundancy packages and that they are not just cutting people off from an income. But then Margaret Thatcher came into power. It sounded all really reasonable. And I was like, this this isn't what happened. This, no, this is. And actually, thinking about it, I, I, obviously, I mean, there might be some people listening that love old Maggie Thatcher, but I would say a massive proportion of the country, and I would group us in that, does not at all. And again, perhaps the rest of people, well, perhaps people listening in other parts of the world may not be aware of where so much sort of. I don't want to say hatred, but a horrible word, but she's such a like flammatory figure, isn't she? Where that comes from. And I would say that's this initially. Yes, because what she wanted to do was speed up the closure of the mines. She doesn't want to spend money on, on this industry. It's in decline anyway. So she's like, no, this isn't going to work. And she wanted, so basically all the coal miners are now facing quicker closures, pay restrictions. So she's looking at kind of how they're being subsidised and saying, no, no, this isn't going to happen. So they become really unhappy. They were happy with how things were going up until then, but they're like, well, no, this isn't on. And they decided to go on strike, not just any strike, the biggest strike in the UK since 1926. Huge. I didn't realise it was that big. It's been described as the most bitter industrial dispute in British history. Because it went on for ages, didn't it? Went on for a year. That is a massive strike. So the strike started in March and it was made official on the 6th of March in 1984. It was made official on the 12th by Arthur Scargill and he was the president of the National Union of Miners. But there was controversy. Normally, if you go on strike, you ballot your workers first. There's no point calling a strike if all your workers are like, no, I'm good. I love working here. Why would I want to go on strike? So you ballot them. And if enough of them say yes to a strike, then you call official strike action. They didn't do that. But it's because the miners were so passionate about what was going on that they're just like, we're out of here. We haven't got time to ballot. We've had enough. And the aim of the strike was to cause um, a really severe energy shortage because we were still very reliant on coal at this point. Um, and they'd had a previous strike in 1972 and they'd done just that. The government had a strategy. They didn't want the strike to happen and they wanted as many miners as possible to continue to work. And some miners did want to work. You'll always get that with any workforce, won't you? So when people go on strike, they have a picket line and the workers that still want to work, they have to cross that picket line. Initially, the picket lines were quite kind of um, amiable. Is that a word? Amiable? Quite yeah. kind of not confrontational, <laughs> each respecting the other's point of view. So if you wanted to work, okay, fine. I don't want to work, so I'm going to stand on this picket line. But they're quite friendly places. They're just kind of making their point. Government decided that the picket lines should be broken up. And that the way to do that was to send the police in, not just the local police force, police from around the country, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them kind of arrived at picket lines en masse. They were confrontational. They were looking, I shouldn't say this thing about the police, but I believe it's true. They were looking to cause trouble. So all of a sudden you've got workers trying to cross the picket line workers who don't want them to, and a barrier of police in between antagonising the situation hugely. And it caused massive, massive violence. 
And it was so uncalled for. The police weren't needed. These picket lines weren't that rough. You know, these are just men who are saying that we want to do a day's work for a good day's pay. We understand that eventually our industry is in decline, but we've got a plan, a managed plan in place. It's been agreed between the government and the union to make that happen. Difficult, wasn't it? Communities were just decimated, weren't they? It was awful. And so, yeah, that divide where you felt that someone wasn't supporting the cause and they call it a scab, don't they? I don't know where that term comes from, but someone that crosses the picket line, they will shout scab at them and so you'd sort of be ostracised from your whole community. And these were communities of people, they're your friends, they're your family. Oh, it was such a bleak situation. Yeah, definitely. But some people, because, you know, in some areas of the country the local mine was the biggest employer. And it wouldn't just be like your dad that worked there, your granddad would also work there and you'd work there. Whole families, whole generations of families all working in the same place. And if they stop working, that's your entire income lost. But they felt passionate enough to believe that that was warranted. But very difficult when you live in a close-knit community and your neighbour decides actually they want to continue working. I think it's very difficult to respect that point of view both sides are quite passionate and then to have throw the police into the mix to make it a much more kind of violent or hostile environment just didn't help but the government knew this that's what they wanted to do they wanted to break it up they said to the police break up all of this at any cost the strike lasted a year as you said and it was actually ruled illegal because there'd been no ballot so they had to go back to work and to be honest when they went back to work it's a bit of a defining moment in trade union history if I'm honest because people's belief in unions started to decline after that before that a lot of people had believed that unions were there to kind of protect us and to to make our lives easier when we're working that kind of changed so the number of strikes after this kind of fell really sharply so I suppose in Margaret Thatcher's view that's a massive success for her You've got a workforce now that don't strike, that she can manipulate workers' rights and no one stands up to the government for doing so. God. I know. So it's not good. And by 2015, there's no working culprits now in in Britain. They're all gone. Was it 2015, the last one? 2015, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, we still have unions, don't we? And we do still have strikes that we've had. I don't know if anyone... (laughs) From outside the country, we've had the rail strikes. There's lots of people striking at the moment. Mm, teachers. Isn't there? Yeah, lots of people being balloted for strikes as well. So we are going, it feels like we've gone full circle, doesn't it? We're going back to the 80s where a lot of people weren't content with their working conditions and they needed more money just to live because the cost of living was going up. You know, it ended in a recession at the end of the 80s, the early 90s. I mean, we feel we've, we've come back there. Yeah, it's a bit, it's just like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Here we are again. Yes, it is. But obviously with a different Prime Minister, well, I was going to name her then, but who knows, she might not be Prime Minister. That's what I was going to say, don't bother. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, is it? Is she not? I don't know. I mean, oh, it's just a U-turn every day. Well, yeah, but I feel like... you can only U-turn so much, can't you, before you come back to your original. I, don't, I just can't keep up with it. It's very confusing as to what's going on. It's like I said to you yesterday, every time my phone pings with a breaking news alert, I'm like, oh no, what now? Oh, you've got to turn those off because that is like a horror now. I, I don't know like, how oh. to. I don't even know how I got it set up. <laughs> your phone's just constantly breaking news. <laughs> Oh, and if it's not, you know, something awful with the government, it's something really sad, like Robbie Coltrane dying. So I don't have news alerts on. No. Well, if I knew how to take it off, I I get one of the kids to look at it. (laughs) As we've said, look, 
the strike, the loss of the coal mines, we've said huge hardship for those involved, whole towns affected by this. And obviously, if you're on strike, you're not getting paid. So they would have no wages coming in. And there's very little in terms of support. There's no food banks back then. So they are literally surviving on nothing. So there you go. There's your little history lesson about the miners' strike. And if anyone, this is sort of a bit of an aside, but some of the stuff I actually know about the miners' strike is from a really amazing film called Brassed Off. Do you remember it? Oh, I've heard of it. With Stephen um, Tomkinson. Tomlinson? I, don't, I can't remember how to say it. Um, and they used to be brass bands, didn't they, for lots of different um, mm-hmm. coal mines and things like that. So that was a really big thing. Again, you'd be in it with your your son and your dad and your granddad and your cousin. They'd all be in it. Um, but it's a really amazing film and it kind of looks at how it affected one family and one community and sort of the mental health problems that came out of that and how it caused, you know, divorces and suicide. And it's amazing. So go and check out Brassed Off, everyone. And Billy Elliot. That was based during the miners' strike. That's true. See, this is where I've learned most about it, to be honest, mm. is through film. Yeah, me too. Okay, wait, <laughs> HIV. I was going to say. Yeah, well, we should go, you know, what on earth does all of this have to do with Mark Ashton, as he is our hero this week? Well, he could see that the LGBT community, the mining community, both facing massive adversity. I mean, the police weren't known for their empathy towards gay people either at Time. In fact, the police were a bit kind of maverick with anybody that they didn't kind of like. And here you can see the sense in supporting the mining community and raising money for them, money that they could use to buy food. And we know LGBT community, they're very generous a lot, aren't they? Very kind hearted and they're great at raising money. But there's a massive challenge for him. And that is that this is quite a big ask for the LGBT community because some of them have moved away from those mining areas because they faced um, stigma because of their sexuality. So some of them are saying, well, what have they ever done for us? Some are saying, I mean, I moved away from them because they were mean to me. We use better terminology than mean. But, you know, why should I do this? I can't live in that community. And he kind of says, no, we've got to see past that. Doesn't matter what's happened in the past. They need our help and they're in desperate need. He's a very compassionate man, you know. It's all very well, isn't it? Seeing anything or, or or anyone that's in need thinking, oh my goodness, I wish I could do something. I'll donate, you know, a little bit of money to whatever. But to actually be that in- individual, it's like, no, I'm going to mobilise my community to directly help them is outstanding. It is. So what he did, he set up a charity. Uh, he set it up with his friend, Mike Jackson, and they called it LGSM, Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners. Him and Mike, they're a bit like you and me. So Mike's kind of in the background. He's kind of doing, pulling all the charity together. He's kind of, I wouldn't say he's the brains behind it, but I'd say Mark was definitely the passionate vocalist. Mike, much quieter, but making everything happen. In Am the- I Mike? No, I'm Mike. You're the little mouthpiece. <laughs> which one you were saying I was like I have no idea which one I am I don't think you can say we were like those two what I'm saying is that they're a really good double act ah I'm with very different skills when you pull them together you get something completely awesome Mm. that's what I'm saying very true and I like the point there you go got us out of that I don't know who which one you'd be actually well you sounded quite a lot like both of them and I was like "Um, where am I (laughs) (laughs) fit in the idiot that just says stupid things no. <laughs> so as we've said quick recap because we keep going off 
off topic as always. So they've set up this charity, LGSM, Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors. And they're going to start raising money for the Welsh, um, not for the world, well, it was for the Welsh community. They're going to start raising money for the mining community. Do you know, the biggest challenge was finding a mining community that would accept their help. Because there is a lot of prejudice. No. So they started with the National Union of Miners and they phoned them up and say, we're raising money, but, you know, where should we send it? Who can we help? And they're just like, oh, no, 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 we're not interested in you. I know. And then they started ringing actual communities they literally got a map out and they're like where are we gonna where's a mining community right there's one let's go for it and they're contacting people they're not being called back people or people are blatantly going no lesbian and gay no no definitely not and through their own perseverance they eventually find a community in Wales that does accept their help even I mean they'd still have to ring them a few times to actually make any contact so they're anti-violent Welsh community that, that says tentatively yes, but they're still not quite sure what, what's going on here. But they go down and visit the mining community. They start to build a rapport with them. So they've done some fundraising, go down to this Welsh community that have agreed that they can be supported by them. And they face some very openly hostile people, some very curious people and some a small minority. They're actually quite friendly, including the kind of the guy that is... I don't know if you want to say like head of the miners, but he's kind of their spokesperson and he's right. very open-minded and, and he can see the benefit and he's grateful for the help that they're able to, to offer. And as LGSM raise more funds, people's opinion in this Welsh village or Welsh town starts to change because, you know, the gays and the lesbians are literally putting food on their tables. People are grateful. And the two communities kind of start to mesh get to know each other there are trips to wales there are trips to london they're trying to break down stigma and increase understanding i love this is there it's like a film that's been i feel like there should be a film about this there is i mean i can't do this justice this story justice but there is a film called pride it's in a similar vein i would say to billy elliott but it's just it's a brilliant film there's lots of heartwarming moments lots of funny moments and it illustrates Far more effectively than I can, just how big the barriers are that they yeah. have to overcome. Um, but it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Everybody needs to watch it. I'll, I'll put it on a list for the weekend. Oh, you should. It's very easily available. I've watched it about four times now. Oh, really? <laughs> and you just think, Mark Ashton, oh, he was just amazing. He really was. Anyway, I know we haven't touched much on his actual background. It's more about what he did for the miners. But um, I think we should point out he was in his early 20s when he did this. Wow, really young. Really God, young. he was so inspirational at such a young age. Ah, oh, I was not inspirational when I was 20. Oh, gosh, nor was I. No, definitely not. So again, I think that kind of adds to his heroicness to be doing this when you're so young and to see the benefit of helping other communities and pooling your resources and yeah. empathising. Amazing. And also persisting when people are like rebuffing your help. Oh, yes. I'd forgotten about that. It's so demoralizing when everyone's like, no, we do need help, but not from you. Yeah. I mean, for him to keep going to get to where they got to with that Welsh community, yeah, he could just see the bigger picture and knew how good it could be if he just kept persisting. Yeah, absolutely. Their biggest fundraiser was uh, a benefit kind of concert, and it was called Pits and Perverts. So pits because they're mining pits, and perverts because that's what members of the public used to call gay men. Seriously? Why do they call them perverts? It's insanity. 
how they were seen. There's a bit in the film where um, they they're based in a, in a kind of in a bookshop, and someone throws a brick through the window, and it's got newspaper um, around it, and it's got the word perverts on it, and they're like, oh yeah, that's what everyone calls us. <gasps> oh, no. The newspapers again. God, they're the ruinous. Yes. I know, I know. So they had this big benefit concert. It was at the Electric Ballroom and it raised £5,650 at the risk of sounding like my dad. A lot of money in those days. I was going to say that. That really is. And the charity um, expanded. So uh, in the end, they were operating in 10 cities across the UK. The money they raised from this uh, benefit was used to buy a new minibus for the mining community so they could deliver food to those that lived in more rural locations. Yeah. Brilliant idea. And when the strike came to an end, LGSM fundraising efforts did as well. But the links between the two communities remained. I should say that at the Pits and Perverts benefit concert, one of the bands playing or the headline band was Bronsky Beat. Oh, you love Bronsky Beat, don't you? I do. I do. We can talk about that later. Fundraising ends when the strike ends because everybody's gone back to work. But the two communities remained quite close. And in 1985, Welsh miners led the parade at London Pride to show solidarity with LGSM for their support during the strike. That is a breakthrough moment. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm actually quite um, taken aback by that. What an unbelievable moment. Absolutely. A huge, huge moment. You know, the year before, that would not even have been considered possible. So Mark died on the 11th of February, 1987. Uh, he'd just been diagnosed with HIV. He's 26 years old. You know, you can't argue the world was definitely a better place because of his presence. And his legacy, I know we talk about legacies a lot, don't we? It's like, OK, well, what happened after this, this person died? His legacy was huge. So the Labour Party tabled a motion at their party conference to enshrine LGBT rights into their party manifesto. They tried to do it in the past, but the motion had never been passed. And this time it was passed. And one of the reasons it was passed was because of the complete support of one of the unions. I mean, it's obvious which union. It's the National Union of Mine Workers. And then that set the tone for LGBT rights in the future. That's all down to Mark Ashton. Oh, wow. So the story's even bigger than just helping. Wow. There's so much to unpick there. There's so much achievement there that just carried on and on and on. And that's huge. Yeah, that's the influence he had over the miners kind of union and the miners themselves. And I know I've kind of brushed over the fact that he died, but I can't talk about it because it upsets me. When you find out in the film, I, I cried. I was just like, oh, God. It is sad. And I think you're focusing on the things that are important. I know. Just so gutting. So we should say LGSM was resurrected by Mike Jackson uh, after the Pride film was released in 2014. At this point, I would normally sum up why Mark is heroic. Not going to do that. You've all got homework to do. You need to watch the film because you'll be in no doubt after watching it that he was a legend. And there's one more thing you need to do. Everybody needs to do, actually. All listeners need to do. At the end of the film, when the credits are rolling... There's a song playing. So they play a Billy Bragg song, first of all. Be patient, get past that. And then they play a song that was written and performed by the Communards, Jimmy Somerville, the lead singer. And it's called For a Friend. Have you ever heard it before? I have heard it, yes. It's just the best song. That song is about Mark Ashton. Jimmy Somerville and Mark Ashton were best friends. It's a really, really moving song. 
I don't think there's another song that captures as well how gay men felt in the 80s losing their friends or their partners or their lovers I mean it Mm. should be in my opinion an HIV anthem let's champion it well I think say next week we are going to look at that song and Jimmy Somerville I just can't help myself I love him so much but we're going to look at that in our next episode oh amazing so we're actually going to focus on that well let's not let's not talk about it too much then I'm going to go away listen to it more oh exciting so there you go we're done I'm finished I bid you good day (laughs) I like how formal you're getting more every week um that was fantastic though I say it every week well done good job good job you I'm not sure if I expressed my love for Mark Ashton enough you know I think you did I'm definitely getting it and I mean yeah what a legend I can't I still can't quite believe how much he did and how much he achieved so I completely understand why you were so excited to share this with us because that's amazing so was that your favorite episode ever I think it was I think he might be my favorite person ever and can I just say, do you know when I know that you're so invested? Because we barely went off piste. <laughs> you were like, I'm not having this. I'm not going to let Jess ruin this. I'm going to go for it. Like, it's well done. No, very focused. As Mark Ashton would have been too, if he'd been doing this. Oh, I like it. You're channeling Mark. Yes. Well, trying to. Perfect. Well, see you for Jimmy Somerville next week. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.